0: We have achieved things by working with other organizations. And, and previously, I think, and you often see this in a trade association, there's a sort of feeling that you've got to sell yourself to the membership, otherwise you won't get the subscription every year. Uh, and you do that by kind of making sure you get the credit. Well, if you're going to work in collaboration with people, sometimes you you share the credit. In fact, you know, if you're collaborating, you should always share the credit. But you hope that the goals will be better uh, attained as a result.
1: Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist, the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Stephen Hadrill, Director General of the Finance and Leasing Association. The Finance and Leasing Association is the leading trade body for the asset, consumer and motor finance sectors in the UK. In addition to describing their purpose, values and strategy, Stephen will share with us how COVID has changed their relationships with other trade bodies and his provocative point of view on 100 day plans. Stephen, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Thank you for joining us today. I wonder what you might be able to tell us about yourself and about the Finance
0: and Leasing Association. It's great to have this opportunity to talk to you. So Stephen Hadrell, I've been a civil servant for 25 years, largely in in the economic energy spheres. But the latter part of my career, I was a regulator um, regulating. Employment law, company law, uh, most of the sort of cross-cutting regulatory (laughs) frameworks. I left the civil service and took over running the Association of British Insurers, the trade association. Mm -hmm. Uh, did that for about five years, Uh, then went back to regulation and became the chief executive for the Financial Reporting Council, which is the audit and accounting uh, regulator for the UK. Corporate governance um, does as well. Just before the pandemic, I started a new job at the Finance and Leasing Association, the FLA, running that. So the the FLA represents specialist lenders, I guess, in in a number of markets. The the motor finance market, uh, something like 95% of motor finance is provided by our members. Consumer finance of various forms and also business finance, particularly um, leasing and asset-backed finance. There are about 150 members. It's quite diverse. It runs from everything from the very big household names, the big banks, through to the captive finance arms of car companies for example and and other companies like jcb and siemens and so on through to some quite small lenders independent lenders who raise their own funding often in the markets uh, before lending on to their retail customers Mm
1: -hmm. and what's the sort of unifying thing that brings that diverse group together
0: one of the things i've been trying to do is to make sure that it is a more cohesive group of members but I think there are a number of common threads. Um, the first is that treating their customers well, fairly, uh, is common to, to all of them. Making sure that they can afford to borrow, that it's a good option for them. So the whole fairness agenda is important, whichever side you're in. And although I talk about business finance, you know, a, a lot of the companies that they're lending to are SMEs very often very small smes are really no more wise in in the ways of lending than um, ordinary consumers are so the banks have others have a good look after them as well then i think we've all got a an interest in some of the big issues of the day in net zero for example you know uh, consumer lending is, is relevant there but obviously business lending and motor lending and particularly with the growth of the electric car market for example and in terms of the economy leveling up the government's agenda lending is vital to that whether it's to individuals or to uh, or, or to corporates so i think there's quite a lot that actually does effectively bind us together
1: if you had to look at the purpose of the finance and lending association what would you say that is
0: well we have a purpose we've adopted um as an organization uh, with the support of the board and the membership which is to help our members grow sustainable and trusted finance markets for consumers and businesses I suppose that does go back to what I said just now, that in particular, those uh, two words in that sentence, sustainable uh, and trusted. We want customers to feel confident in dealing with our members and to help our members get in a position that they can demonstrate that trust. And sustainability is so important now, whether it's in relation to the environment or of course whether it's in relation to their own businesses.
1: Mm -hmm. And, And how did you come up with that? What was the process? Who got involved? How long did it take?
0: um so when i arrived um in december 2019 one of the first things i I wanted to initiate was a staff survey now we're quite a big organization in terms of the numbers of people we represent um, but quite small in terms of the the staff side you know there's around about 30 of us so it's not huge but i thought you know let's see what people think anonymously so uh, put together a staff survey we had it independently managed for us and one of the messages that came back, which I, I thought was absolutely fundamental to taking on a business like this, was that people didn't feel our mission was clear. We did have a mission, but it was, it was about a paragraph, and it didn't stick in their mind. And partly for the reason I think you have just alluded to, that you know we were set up with these three separate divisions um, without a great sense of, of common purpose. That binding sort of nature of a mission wasn't coming through. And this was one of the things we focused on, what should our purpose be? We did quite a bit of consultation around that with the membership. I set up a stakeholder group, so not members, but people who have an interest in our business from the political world, other trade associations, and so on. Just to kick around know, well, what we were really for. And those two words, generate trust in the membership and and by the members and, uh, and sustainability kept coming forward as well as our kind of core purpose, which was to influence the government and so on in, in the right way, in the public inter- in a public interest-driven way, to help create a framework within which markets could grow. Initially, we came out with a variety of different sort of formulations, uh, and eventually uh, it was this one that uh, we agreed with the board.
1: Roughly how long
0: did that take? Well, I think we sort of started immediately at the very beginning of 2020, And I think we got the final sign-off in the sort of late spring. So it took us about... So that's pretty quick. Well, it was quite quick. But remember, the staff of 30 people, not a staff of 30,000 people. And I think everyone was sort of saying, you've got to do the consultation. You've got to think carefully about what people say. But you've also got to get in with it. And particularly with COVID looming in this period, and then of course becoming a really serious business reality in March. We could have stored the whole thing but actually i think it became even more important to um to get on with it and and to adopt it mm-hmm. uh almost in parallel we looked at the values of the organization now there were there were no stated values when i arrived and i thought well you know the purpose defines what you're going to do it doesn't totally define how you're going to do it i mean it gives you some pointers i mean you can't talk about building trusted markets and then act in a very untrustworthy way yourself. But again, we went through that same process and we adopted three kind of core values for how we would go about our job, that we would always be trusted. Um, Now that might sound really obvious, but, you know, we're on a public stage. We get quite a bit of toing and fro You know, sometimes what the industry is doing is applauded and sometimes it's criticised and the rest of it. And I think we have to demonstrate that we're open to criticism. Uh, we'll take it on the chin, but but where it's not fair, we'll explain it and the rest of it. So we've set about building trust and it sort of runs through the core of the organisation at all times and we call each other out if, if we're not doing that. And it applies within the building, if you like, as well as on our external side. Secondly, it's our job to provide leadership to the association, the members as a whole. That's what they want from us. They want our thinking to complement and supplement and build on theirs. They want us to say when things are not going well and when they need to think differently about the way they're going about business in the industry. It can lead to a difficult conversation, but if you don't have it, you're just suppressing a problem. And the third thing, which I think is particularly important because it was a, a significant change in the way we go about our job. Was that we will collaborate. We will seek to reach out to other organisations, uh, to form alliances and partnerships wherever we can, and we will generate a kind of internal collaboration. We will work together as as a as an executive team, and and with our members. Um, and that that was both an internal and an external change. I mean, internally it was a change because there were the, the well there still are three divisions, but, but we didn't have situations where objectives were held in common by different parts of the organization, where some people were specifically tasked with taking forward things on behalf of the organization as a whole. So that was one change. Um, but also, uh, we have achieved things by working with other organizations. And and previously, I think, and you often see this in a trade association, there's a sort of feeling that you've got to sell yourself to the membership, otherwise, you won't get the subscription every year. Uh, and you do that by kind of making sure you get the credit. Well, if you're going to work in collaboration with people, sometimes you you share the credit. In fact, you know, if you're collaborating, you should always share the credit. But you hope that the goals will be better uh, attained as a result. I put together a, a trade association group of all the, the trade associations that work in our sort of area. There's about six of them. We meet once a month. We have produced common positions that we've sent letters to to ministers and the treasury and so on. That's paid off. Um, you know, a minister getting six signatures rather than one is more likely to agree, or at least to more likely to, to want to find out more. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's one of the big differences that I, I believe this sense of common purpose, if I can call it that, has generated for us.
1: Do you think that's something that other trade associations, particularly that collaboration piece, that other trade associations are going to increasingly be adopting if they haven't already or do you feel you know that's just sort of somewhat unique to or at least more specific to where you are
0: uh well first of all, i don't claim to invent this at all um secondly i think covid has shown us all that there are other ways of working than perhaps the ones that we had before it's just practically easier to collaborate if you're going to have a collaboration meeting in your offices, you don't have to get six people coming from all over the country. You can just set it up in minutes. And people are much more willing to give their time in those circumstances. So we got a head start there. And I think just the the sheer sort of seriousness of particularly the early days of COVID, where government was making policy on the hoof, it was just blindingly obvious really that you know, rather than half a dozen organizations all trying to influence government in in their own little boxes that we should get together to do it because there wasn't enough time really for for any one of us to kind of Triumph in those discussions. We we had to maximise our work together because quite rightly you know, the chancellor was churning out decisions at the most extraordinarily rapid rate, and we were just got left behind. Either left behind, or the other thing government has a great tendency to err towards is divide and rule. Uh, if you can put forward a joint position, there's less likelihood of that. And I think the other thing is that government has struggles most where you've got strong conflicting opinions. But if you can get people together to produce a consensus or a narrower set of options, they will grab it with both hands. Um, so rather than just shouting at them from our own corners of the ring, you know, let's let's kind of come together in the middle of the ring and, and produce that common point of view.
1: Has that purpose sort of helped in making decisions going forward? How has it helped, I guess, is maybe the question.
0: Uh, I think both the purpose and the values, particularly the values, have, have helped a lot. Partly because of COVID, we started having daily meetings of the senior team. You know what I really like is when members of the team say, "Hang on a minute," you know that may sound that that's the sort of thing we should be doing, but how's that consistent with our values? You know, and that's great. You mentioned just now that we'd done all this rather quickly, and that's true. There is something that you have to be wary of. Perhaps I wasn't sufficiently wary of it, which is that if you move through these processes rather quickly, I think you can still get to the right answer but you've done less embedding on the way. You get to the end of stage one, you breathe a sigh of relief and you think you've done it all when you haven't. You've you've never done it all anyway, but I think the faster you move at the beginning, the more you've got to keep going with the embedding after you think you've done it. Mm
1: -hmm. And what would you say your strategy is?
0: Um, So our strategy rests on four pillars that support the purpose. The first one is very much around promoting uh, trust and confidence in the fairness of the industry, justifiable. Secondly, to work with government and other opinion formers and so on to help uh, create the, the right framework for the lending business to be done in order that the market can grow, providing that that market growth is sustainable. So those are the two kind of key pillars, fairness and building sustainable growth through our influence on the environment for business. We have two others, two other pillars as well, which are also important. Um, the, the first is to help the industry further promote its own professionalism, we're running an apprenticeship program where um, we've got a diploma program. We've got training, not just for members, but also for people that they rely on. So in the motor finance area, we provide training for motor dealers and not members, but you know, nevertheless, we can't survive without them. So and that, that's done. So there's this whole professionalism stream. And, and the fourth one, which underpins everything, is that we excel in the delivery of our services and, and our work for the membership. So excellence is part of our our goals. so but it's those four pillars but i think the closest connection i suppose direct connection to the purpose is the first two
1: and again how did how did you develop that i've I've sort of got the sense that you had these two slightly parallel processes one around the purpose one around the values kind of going on did the strategy follow on after that or did it come before or was it also parallel
0: No, no the strategy followed on afterwards the final sign-off on the purpose and the values included the strategy because i think the board quite rightly (laughs) wanted to say well okay fine words but you know what how does this make a difference to the strategy so can we just test the purpose and the values to see whether you end up with a strategy that makes sense to us and i thought that was a good challenge so we spent another probably another three months or so on the strategy Again, that was a sort of top-down and bottom-up process because we had a lot of activities already going on. I mean, for instance, that um, program for training for motor dealers. We're going to carry on doing that uh, and and many other things.
1: In all of this, it sounds like you sort of had these three, first two, and then it sounds like the strategy came later. Throughout all of that, was there anything that you're particularly proud of in terms of how you've gone about coming up with this?
0: I don't think there was anything particularly special in the way that we went about it. I mean, I I think that many have trod the path before us. I think one of the great advantages as a small organization is that you can involve the whole staff in it. And you can do so in a way that enables you to really have time to listen to them. So I'm pleased with the way we did that because I think we did have a lot of staff engagement. And the other thing is we did have a lot of member engagement. Those are our customers uh again nothing startling new in that but i think developing purpose values and strategies without consulting or talking to your customers and involving them in some way i don't mean formally but just engaging the thinking is essential it's another take on this collaboration word really you know it's about collaborating with all your stakeholders listening to them taking what seem to be good ideas testing them on others before you finally make your mind up
1: mm-hmm. Anything that you, looking back on it, you think you either feel it was more difficult than it needed to be or or the outcome could have been better anything that, you know, if if you had to do it again, you might do it slightly differently?
0: Um, Well, I think spending a bit more time on the embedding immediately after we decided some things, uh, you know, more intensive communication would have been a good thing to do internally. I kind of assumed that a team of 30 kind of knew what was going on to a greater extent than perhaps it did so you know um i think 30 or 300 you probably you have to think about communication uh, in depth so that would be one thing the other thing is you have to remember that we went into lockdown on the 18th of march and we were still doing this uh you know the board didn't sign off for a little while after that and we had to get used to working in a totally different way although in many respects our communication within the organization improved you know we, we were having a lot more team meetings because it was easier in other respects you know the kind of informality the softer side of communication couldn't happen as well it's much harder on zoom or at least i find it harder to, to work out what people are really thinking i mean you only see. Twenty percent of the body language, at best. You? If you're all in the office together, and it's one of the advantages of a small organisation, you can see when people are strained. You, you know when people are working at, you know, after hours and that sort of thing. You know when they're looking, frankly, pretty drawn. Uh, you don't get that nearly as easily. So you've got to you've got to find other mechanisms to un- understand the level of stretch in the organisation and whether it's appropriate or excessive.
1: Any any tips or suggestions for other leaders who might themselves be embarking on an effort to define their purpose, or to rethink their strategy?
0: Um, well, I suppose, listen to the people, really, whether they're inside or outside is, is my first one. I've already, I've already said that, but I, I think it's, it's absolutely crucial. Don't get beguiled a bit by this first 100 days thing, which I think is frankly rather dangerous. I think take the first 100 days to think quite hard about how you're going to go about it rather than this is the answer. Because I think, you know, you need to talk to people in the organization about, you know, you need to understand the organization, how you're going to engage with it. Once you've done that, you can start the engagement. And once you've done some of the engagement, you can, you will know what you want to do. And then you communicate it. So I, I wouldn't turn up with plan A and then push it through. Or, and particularly wouldn't be driven by people who say, well, you know, you've been here a couple of months now. Surely you know what you're going to do. Take the time you need. I mean, you can't take forever, obviously. People get too frustrated. But take the time you need and what's
1: the impact on you personally been right, you know what have you learned along the way
0: um well firstly quite a lot really i i th- i think i learned i've learned things about communication both um in in pursuing this sort of agenda but but also in lockdown i think that's been um really important the importance of uh really reaching out to people because. I, I hadn't. I suppose you don't really perhaps appreciate how much outreach you do as a leader just by being around in an organisation. So you know, and it doesn't happen in quite the same way when you're doing everything virtually. I'm a great believer in, this, in the in the values of you know virtual communication, but if it completely supplants the other forms of communication, then it's not providing you with everything you need. The other thing is not to allow yourself to get trapped in your own bubble. If you talk to people you work with quite a bit still, your leadership team, you talk to your customers and members, and in, in our case, I do think you pick up a lot just by, you know, human engagement with others. I felt after a couple of months, I had to make sort of particular efforts to sort of replace some of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a really interesting observation. Is there is there anything I haven't asked you that you wish I did? <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to ask me, you know, how will I know whether I've succeeded in three years' time? Or whatever. Uh, that, um,
1: if you have any thoughts on that, that's, that's a great
0: question. Well, I think COVID has sort of taught me one thing, which is that you've got to be agile. Um, you've got to make sure that the organization, and I think this is where the values come back in, has real agility. Well, I mean, we, we saw a real need for that at the beginning that you can put away your playbook if necessary and do other things. Um, and there are all sorts of challenges we face now that we were never expecting I mean, we all thought about flexible working for years and done things about it, but what's it going to look like now? Well, I think that the conclusion I sort of draw from the last year or so is that I won't know exactly how to do it. Have your best shot at it, but really, you know, monitor how it's going, how people are feeling, and all the rest of it, and be prepared to change because this is a fluid situation that we're in. So I think agility is the thing for the future. And I think we'll be successful, depend upon it. And it will come about not just in COVID related decisions, but it should sort of seep into the culture of the organization. One
1: of the things I take out of that is the the search for best practice that so many organizations seem to be on. Certainly it's worth a pause and and a rethink about whether that even exists anymore. Doesn't mean you can't learn from other people, but as you were saying, the idea that they've done, whatever it is, they've done that right, let's just do what they did. is maybe a bit of a dangerous path.
0: Yes, and I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I mean, who've tried things in the last six months or so, and are already already trying something new. (laughs) uh, Uh,
1: Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences and your insight on these issues, both of purpose and strategy and values.
0: I um, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much indeed, Madam. Thank you for the invitation. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode
0: of The Purposeful Strategist.